everybody, and welcome back. This is episode number 40, Country Outdoors TV. You're listening to the Wilderness Tamer podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in. Now, my guest for this episode is Zach Phillips. He is a fellow outdoorsman out of the state of Tennessee who is a cameraman that has filmed for some pretty influential people in the outdoor industry, and he's been pretty much everywhere you can think of to go hunt elk turkey or whitetail we run the gamut on this podcast as usual you can't just stick to one topic so you try to cover as much as you can within the hour it's just nature of the beast but all in all this was a real fun episode i'm glad to finally get to talk to him and i really appreciate zach taking the time now before i let y'all go as usual let me give a shout out to the sponsors first off is dry pocket apparel they are the future of swimwear. They come with an integrated dry bag as a pocket now with a self-sealing magnetic strip that is certified to go 100 feet down, and they will keep your phone dry as a bone. So go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and as well as drypocketapparel.com. Now, to save you some money, use promo code, all caps, WILDERNESS to get you 25% off your order. Now, my other sponsor is Nomad Outdoors. They have great clothing and camo options to keep you out all day taming your wilderness. So thanks again for everybody for the support of the podcast. Zach, thanks to you again. So y'all have a good weekend and enjoy the episode. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode number 40, Country Outdoors TV. My guest is Zach Phillips and welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Connor, what's up, man? Oh, not a whole lot. Trying to stay dry down here in South Georgia right now. Yeah, I'm up here in Nashville. We got ice falling from the sky, so I feel you. Yeah, I heard it's pretty good well, cold weather storm coming through. How many inches are y'all expecting up there? I have no idea. Hopefully none. <laughs> I'm from South Georgia like you, and I do not like it. I heard that. What region of South That's Georgia fine. were you from? I grew up in Tifton, Georgia. Okay, so you're about 45 minutes away from me then. Yeah, man. Or was. Those old stomping grounds. <laughs> So, uh, if you want to, kind of introduce yourself so people get a ballpark of who you are and what you're about, and then, we'll, like I said, we'll get into it. Yeah, man. Uh, my name's Zach Phillips. I came from the outdoor video world, so I came up doing hunting and fishing shows, producing them my whole career. And then uh, my wife is Mary. She does the show Country Outdoors with me. I outkicked my coverage with her. She's a hot Australian, and she worked in country music. So, when we got together, she'd actually never hunted before I met her, and uh, she fell in love with it pretty quick. So we wound up kind of merging the two worlds together with Country Outdoors. That's awesome. Do y'all ever take any musicians hunting or anything like that? Yeah, quite a bit. That's uh, We do that a lot. That's you know, She started Country Outdoors as a podcast, and they were interviewing country artists about their music and then also their outdoor passions, whether it's hunting or fishing or whatever. Hmm. And, uh, okay, I'll have to check time, that out. Yeah, at the time, I was working for the owner of Bass Pro Sun, doing all their personal video work, actually, and it was it was a great job. Uh, that sounds like opportunity. it. Yeah, that was a fun one. But uh, I saw the opportunity to catch outdoors, and I wound up quitting that job uh, right before COVID hit, which probably was not smart. But we had the opportunity to do the turkey tour, which was our first film project. And uh, so pretty much I quit my job to go turkey hunting. And we filmed it all year, and that's when COVID hit. So it was quite an interesting year. But we had fun, killed a lot of turkeys, and hopefully made some good videos. Yeah, I saw y'all had a new one drop. What was it, yesterday evening? Yes, it was yesterday evening. So uh, we actually were running six episodes from last year. 
but we had last year turkey season was rolling great and then we actually had an accident that put a damper on it but mm-hmm. the, we had a fire the footage survived so we're in six of those episodes and then when those are out we're going to start running 10 for this season so there'll be quick turnaround semi-live episodes uh, cool now where are y'all hunting at is it in tennessee or kind of all over we're gonna be all over so part Sweet. of our deal we we load up an rv uh we'll start in south florida and we're having our buddy country artist sean stemley join us down there uh we'll be hunting with our friend kyle petrick but it's a phenomenal place down there i love it so much south florida the mm-hmm. first two to three weeks of march is like the coolest place in the world so we'll start down there hopefully kill a couple turkeys and then we'll come back to Nashville and lay low for a minute because a lot of seasons don't catch up until I think Mississippi's actually the earliest of the 15th. But a lot of southern states have been pushing their, their dates back. So And limiting we'll their quotas too, man. Our turkey population in Georgia is taking a pretty big hit. Yeah, and I don't think that's unique to Georgia. So, yeah, uh, you know, the NWTF has been talking a lot about it and then a lot of the state agencies are trying to get on top of it. So part of that, a lot of states are moving their seasons back. A lot of them are limiting the, the numbers. So. Mm-hmm um all in the name of, of conservation and good numbers so yeah i mean i'm a fa- in favor of it but i don't like laying around for a couple weeks <laughs> yeah i know that i think that's the truth yeah so we'll after that we'll probably hunt south carolina tennessee uh, i know we're doing a hunt in north carolina and then hopefully texas well, kansas nebraska wyoming and then we're talking about running to the northeast. I've, I've never hunted anywhere in the northeast. Mm. Actually, I don't think I've ever been to anywhere in the northeast. So That's one of them, my vacations. Me and my wife have always talked about just to go drive up the east coast and just go go as much yeah. lobster rolls as you can. <laughs> well, I really I want to end in Maine. I want to kill a turkey in June. And mm-hmm. I want to go eat lobsters. Heck yeah, man. Now, so. out of all the turkeys or the species you've hunted, which one would you say is the hardest and which one is probably the easiest? The hardest turkey hunt I've ever done is definitely Florida Osceola's. Right. And that was, uh-huh. you know, it, it's kind of like anywhere. It, it's by the place you hunt and how much they're pressured. But public yeah. land in Florida is by far the hardest turkey hunt there is. Um, there's some good quotas you can draw and whatnot. But if you just go hunt an over-the-counter open quota hunt down there, it is really hard. Uh, but if you kill one there, you can kill one about anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then for the easiest... I mean, I just I think Miriams are, are pretty dang easy. Mm-hmm. It's like anything. If they're pressured, they can be tough. But if you're from Georgia and you kill turkeys and you go out and hunt some Miriams in Montana, you're probably going to find one. Yeah, I heard that. So, That's why I had a buddy. Said, he went and he said, pretty much you just don't stop calling. And now he said, I'm usually just walk right on in. Yeah, it's kind of the difference in duck hunting from like somewhere up in, let's say, Arkansas calling in the timber where mm-hmm. they just stand on them. And then going and hunting them in Missouri or Kansas, it's just you got to stay on them. Yeah, no, that's pretty. They cool. don't stop gobbling. So, what's your biggest bird you've shot? Oh man, I don't know. I, I know I, I shot one. I, I think it was the first one I ever killed in Nebraska, and he had five or six beards on him. Holy crap! And I was a I was a broke college kid, so I got a picture of it, but I didn't get him mounted or anything because I was broke. But yeah, he was big. Dang, that's uh, really he had a dang mop on his chest then. Yeah, and, you know, since then I've never killed one that had multiple beards ever. I've seen, I've called some in for other people, and I've seen some, but I've never killed another one myself. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I like, I called in the number what at the time was the number two typical in the state of Georgia. I don't know if he registered or not, but it was. But I've, you know, it was some guy that he didn't even probably care. Yeah, I've never killed one near that big. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's my myself. I've always just hunted public land. 
just because of the land around here is either too expensive or it's got its family land. And uh, we've done pretty good. We've killed birds. The biggest one I ever killed was like 12 and a half inch beard, which I shot most of it off. <laughs> and his spurs were right at an inch and an eighth. Dang. Yeah, he was a big one. I still got him at the house. I got his pelt That's too. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, growing up in Tifton, I hunted a lot of public land around Georgia. Mm. I won't say what my hunting holes were, but. I used to love hunting a couple of those WMAs around there. Yeah, that's you about got in this region though. You about got to travel to get to the good ones. About a two hour drive, and there's a lot of them that are quota too. You got to put in for a draw. Yes, yes. Which you know, I actually I looked the other day and I think I have five or six quota points for Georgia for turkeys. So I, I don't know if you are you familiar with Piedmont. I am. I'm put in for that quota hunt. This I didn't go last year, but I'm gonna try and go this year. And I'll, this year would have been my 11th deer hunt up there. But as fate would have it, we had the situation with children and a new babysitter flaked on us. So I ended up having to stay home for the whole week. So it was, I hate to hear that. <laughs> I hate to hear that. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> Part like, of it. It is. But uh, kind of, so when did you get into hunting? Man, uh, my whole life, I, my family, my grandpa was a farmer in Missouri. And my earliest hunting memories would be going up there and quail hunting, following everybody around Back then, they had a lot of quail. Now, mm-hmm. not as many. But, uh, yeah, I grew up doing that and duck hunting. And then my favorite memories was following my dad and brother around turkey hunting. And that kind of hit a nerve. I've been doing that my whole life. That's been my love forever. So. Yeah, turkey hunting holds a special place in my heart. Just I mean, it's other a whitetail for a bird hunting. I'll go duck hunting if I'm invited. But I ain't, I ain't got the gumption to get there and get it myself. <laughs> Yeah, I think the way I would explain it, I love every kind of hunting, and I want to do everything mm-hmm. that I can. But it's all just to get me to turkey season. Yeah, I heard that. So, but uh, so how's your current season going? Y'all killing good good birds from last year, or uh, any big deer? We're just glad twenty twenty one's over. <laughs> I am anyway. Uh, that was a good year. We had we started out in spring, and we were having a great spring, and then towards the middle end of it we had an accident in the fire like i mentioned earlier and yeah that where was that fire at? On it. Uh, it was in south dakota oh. and uh we actually the next day we had a charity hunt in hewlett wyoming and uh you know all our sponsors and everybody were great they told us to go home and that we didn't owe them anything and not to worry about it but mm. we'd already committed to it and plus we just we needed to go hunting so we went ahead and went out there and we borrowed guns and camo and everything we needed and we were actually hunting the next day um so that worked out we bounced back from it but I heard that. Uh, you know the, the summer we had some fun got to the fall and then i had a we had a couple elk hunts one didn't go our way the second one i actually had an elk at 15 yards and was able to get the full draw which was the first time i'd ever had that close of an opportunity and i needed him to take two more steps and he didn't mm. and then uh yeah kind of the story of my, my life there <laughs> the deer season mary killed a great one she missed a big one and then I went to Kansas on my Kansas tag and I had, I went and knocked on doors and got permission to a spot and I had a shot at about a 160 type deer and I shot him in the shoulder. So damn, that's, that's kind of the way my deer hunt went this year. Yeah. So what kind of, uh, do you run a saddle lock on anything like that? I'm pretty, you know, I, I tried the saddle for the first time ever this year. I tried a tethered saddle mm-hmm. and, um, I would say it is a great tool to have in my toolbox. I'm not 100% blinds. I'm not 100% tree stands. I'm not 100% saddle. I'll just use whatever works. Whichever and situation, in the right situation calls for. Yeah, in the right situation, the saddle mm-hmm. is awesome. 
that being said, if I got a spot where I can throw up a, a millennium, I'm going to do that too. Oh yeah. I um, love my millennium, just, man. Yeah. It's just, for me, it's just whatever is going to work the best in the spot that I'm in. And I wound up in a lot of spots this year where it was really easy just to throw a saddle on and go up the tree. Now I could see how the mobility of a saddle will be good, but do you feel like you can do those all day rut sits in it comfortably? I did a couple this year and, uh, you know, they make a strap that goes across your back that you kind of lean back on Mm -hmm. and it was pretty comfortable. And I actually, I have a horrible back and well, I guess it's ironic, but the reason I have a bad back is because I fell out of a tree stand. Oh God. How'd that Um, happen? Yeah, the top strap on a lock-on broke, and I fell 20-something feet. It was, yeah, it was November 7th, if I recall, 2017, and I fell. And I, I knew I was going to kill my big deer that morning, too. I heard, it was dark, I heard deer grunting, and my, I was hunting a fence crossing. I knew I was going to kill him. And then, next thing I knew, I was on the ground, and uh-huh. I was rolling around. It was kind of like a Ricky Bobby moment. I didn't think my legs worked no more. Oh, man. And, uh, well, you know, you, you associate falling being paralyzed or i do anyway yeah well we had a friend break his pelvis and had to like drag himself two miles on public land down here that's what i thought i was gonna do so i'm laying there rolling around i'm like okay my legs do work so i finally i got up like you're fine ricky bobby i stood up and i actually climbed up the tree and grabbed my bow i still had my ladder sticks there so i got my bow and i walked to another stand and i actually watched my shooter butt walk in front of me at 100 yards and walk straight up to where that fence crossing was so i probably would have killed him Damn. Um, but then the pain kind of caught up with me and I went home, but then I had a trip the next day to go to Montana and film an elk hunt in the oh, bitter man. root with Remy Warren. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Very familiar um, about him. I'd like to hear about that. <laughs> well, he's a crazy dude, just in shape mountain guy mm-hmm. and it was snowing and I'm from Georgia. We don't do snow. So not, I had a, not forgetting the altitude. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I don't, I never, I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't have time to. So I had pain from my left heel all the way up through my lower back, through my spine, neck to my right shoulder. It's kind of crossed over. And I think I had a fractured heel or something. Mm -hmm. My foot was black. So we did the hunt. And I remember when I showed up, Remy was like, Hey, uh, your boss said you're good for a 14 mile hike in or something stupid like that. And I'm like, well, I guess. So luckily he wound up killing an elk on the second day and we were only like three or four miles in so it was bearable but i remember when i got back to the house i never took my socks off because it was freezing i took my sock off when i got to the house after the hunt my whole foot was black Mm. so damn that's i survived and now i still got back pain but yeah that being said the back pain i noticed this year hunting out of the saddle did not hurt my back because i was able to be kind of straight the whole time Mm-hmm. But when I sat at that 90-degree angle in a lock-on, it started hurting my back. So, okay. I hear you on that. If you, got a, if you got a bad back, maybe look at a saddle. Okay. That's, I had. I got a bunch of friends that I've gotten into it. I Like I said, I'm 6'4", right at 290, and I just I hadn't tried it yet. So Yeah. And plus, yeah, I'm shooting a traditional bow, too, so i got to have a little more clearance. Well, and the, look at the marketing of a, a saddle. There's not a lot of big dudes wearing mossy oak in saddles right now. Yeah, that's but, another thing. But I think there will be. Because mm-hmm. I, I used to look at it, and I kind of snickered at it a little bit like a lot of us do. But then I tried it, and I was like, this is actually, hey, them people at Tethered were pretty cool. I like, They were really nice to me. Mm-hmm. And then the effectiveness of it. I mean, growing up hunting public land, I lug in a big locker, a big uh, climber. Looking back, I'm like, dude, I could have carried four pounds worth of stuff or less mm-hmm. and been hunting 
That's one thing. miles off the road. Yeah. I got to upgrade my sticks because I still use the old Gorilla Walmart sticks for mine just because I like their double rung and I feel safe with them. But I got to do something to lighten my load. Yeah. You know, they got little, I think they call them the one stick. and They're super light. But then there's other companies like Novix and all Heliums and whatever. Mm -hmm. They got super light sticks where I was always, when I was younger, using those cheap ones from Walmart that weighed like 100 pounds. Yeah, that's what I got. (laughs) Yeah, I used some this year too because I couldn't find any. I think there's a shortage in the world on sticks. There's a shortage on a lot of stuff nowadays. So uh, kind of what got you into filming hunts or when did you start? Oh, bad luck. Uh, No, I, I don't know, man. I was a kid, like 14 or something. And I borrowed my mom's little handy cam for filming like Christmas and I took it hunting and I just always loved watching old v, uh, VHSs back then. Um, you know, hunting the country, Primos, mm-hmm. all those, like that's all I watched when I was a kid. So oh, yeah. I thought it was really cool and that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. And, uh, so I started filming my own hunts and stuff and I hate to watch those now. They're probably horrible. <laughs> but when I was in high school, there's actually a show out of your area uh, backwoods life on sportsman channel i've Those heard guys, of them still, yeah they're actually they still on there uh they've been around for a while but i sent an email to michael lee back then and asked if they needed help filming well of course he needed some free labor so mm-hmm. he had me come and film with him and that's where i kind of learned the very basic ropes and i did that for i don't know how many trips i did a few and then i kind of gave up on it i went to school for business and while i was there i was in columbus georgia and my roommate was producing for Bone Collector at the time. So oh, wow. Columbus, Georgia had Realtree, Bone Collector, and Sub-7. And I knew that. I was just around. But Sub-7 wound up calling me and asking me if I could come and film at Jeff Foxworthy's place. Holy and crap. That's pretty so big. I, I skipped class that night. I always did night classes so I could hunt in the mornings that time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I skipped class that night, went out there and filmed. And at the end of it, Mark Womack, the owner of Sub 7, asked me if I could come back in the whole week. So I skipped school the whole week, and I went out there. At the end of it, he paid me, which I thought was cool. I never really got paid much before. Mm-hmm. And then he said, is this something you'd want to do for a living? It's like, well, I didn't know you could. So I wound up. I remember he told me I could intern for him, and that was in, like, December or something. And I thought – that you start on the first of the month. Well, that's the official thing to do. Turns out I probably could have showed up the next day, but I showed up on the first of January, walked in and no one, everybody's like, who are you? They didn't remember. So <laughs> I sat down and I'll never forget. I sat down at a Mac, big old Mac computer and just stared at it for like 20 minutes. And then I finally walked over and was like, Hey man, how do you turn this thing on? So <laughs> I had to have, you know, I spent the first two months doing this grunt work and then yeah. worked my way into doing, TV shows, and back then we were doing the show with Foxworthy. We had Craig Morgan had a show, Swarovski Optic mm-hmm. show. We did Lee and Tiffany's. Uh, we had short films for Under Armour. That's yeah, I Warwick actually met Lee and Tiffany, and I had them sign one of my tournament bows way back in the day. It was there a, you go. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah, they're awesome, man. I I didn't I filmed with them a handful of times, and then we'd go up there and turkey hunt with them every spring where we actually got to turkey hunt. That was always a blast. Mm-hmm. yeah they're awesome people. i'll tell you what they got their farm dialed in yeah they're they got some good ones that's for sure they lee's like a wizard of deer mm-hmm. so but sure. yeah I, I stayed with sub seven for a number of years that's where i really kind of cut my teeth and then 
after that was when I worked for the Bass Pro people and did all their personal stuff and helped with their marketing team a little bit on stuff here and there. But um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it and wound up doing what we're doing now. That's pretty cool, man. Just kind of the right place, right time kind of deal. Yeah, I just, I met the right people and really just kind of pushed my way into it, I guess. <laughs> you got to. Uh, Once you get a yeah, foot in the door, you just kind of shove it on in. Well, yeah, I mean, they gave me an internship, which typically goes for a month or two. I stayed for a year because I was just trying to finish college. So once mm-hmm. I finished college, they offered me a full-time job. But I think it was just bugging enough people and staying around. I didn't really ever have a plan B, so yeah. I just kind of stuck with it. I heard that. Now, where all have you gone? Because I know I'm going to talk about that Argentina hunt. That's a place I've always wanted to go, especially do like a big old dove hunt where you can get like a, was it 400 or something like that? Oh, yeah. They, I don't know if there's a limit down there. But, uh, you know, early on when I was young in my career, I told them, I was like, man, I just want to go everywhere. Back then I was young and single, and they were doing a lot of cool trips. So any cool trip I could weasel my way into, I was trying to go to. And I remember my first big hunt was with John Paul Morris. And we went to British Columbia on a mountain goat hunt. Oh. And that was, for a Georgia kid, that was pretty awesome. That's how on my list. I'm looking, it's probably later on in life, but I'll consider that's the pinnacle of my hunting career if I get to go on a mountain Yeah. Goat. Well, you know, being young, I was always like, man, who would want to spend all that money to go shoot a goat, go shoot a sheep? Like, that's a farm animal. Mm-hmm. But once I did it, I completely understood it. I just, you stood at the top of the mountain looking at the whole world and we mm-hmm. accomplished what we were trying to do. And I didn't shoot the mountain goat but i felt like i was as much a part of it just because i made it there hey to um, me just being there and witness it is fine with me that's cool yeah it was that was a good memory that was one of my first ones but i got lucky to go a lot of places with john paul back then we went to brazil peacock bass fishing and uh oh, he brought yeah. lights in a bow down and we bow fished while we were down there that was a pretty pretty cool one yeah I heard you can catch them yeah. down in Miami and start like the down southern Florida. I've always wanted to go do that. I heard they're a pretty fun catch. Yeah, they're in the canals all over. They got all kinds of weird stuff in those canals, though. Don't trust it. They got pythons and stuff. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, you know, I, speaking of pythons, I was in the rivers up here in South Georgia probably about two or three years ago, me and a buddy, and I could have swore I saw an anaconda on the bank just for how it was like on the edge and it kept going like four different humps. And I was like, and it just disappeared. So I, I can imagine they're probably going to be here soon. <laughs> Did you see a black panther directly after that? Did you? I have seen a cougar down here. I have, and I've heard it. I had one was cross the front of the road of me. He wasn't black. He was more. He was a dark brown. Well, I believe it because I got a ton of them in Florida. But it's funny, like the black panther is like the mythological beast of South Georgia. Mm-hmm. Or the skunk. Everyone's cage. brother's cousin seen one. Yeah. Or they heard a There's guy. Your podcast. There's your podcast. Investigate the black panther. Yeah. I, I believe, uh, what was it, Clay Newcomb did a good episode on that, which they were talking about in Arkansas, I believe. Well, I need to listen to that because it's funny. I've met so many people. I actually met one the other day that said he'd seen one, and he was he was a guy I actually believed. So maybe I'm the only one that hasn't seen one. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's out there. There's enough woods <laughs> out here that, that ain't been touched, even though we think we have, especially down here in South Georgia. There's some swamps you just don't go in. Well, that could probably be true. <laughs> I hunt, We've hunted, you know, the Okie Pinoki Swamp? Or Stephen Foster. Oh, oh yeah. We bow hunted that, man. It's, those are some pretty sketchy woods. Yeah, they're kind of, you know, talking about peacock bass down in the Everglades. We turkey hunted down there. It was me and my old roommate, he worked for Bone Collector, Jason Heathcote. We went down and hunted big piece of public land and about as far south of Florida as you can go. And, uh, yeah, bears, panthers, 
snakes everywhere. Mm-hmm. We never saw one of the big snakes, but I remember Jason kept a, a knife in his boot, and I made fun of him. He's like, man, if Python wraps me up, I'm going to cut my way out. So Yeah, that's what, when we were at Stephen Foster, it was back before Georgia changed their laws before you carry a handgun. We, would act, we went to a local gun show, and there was this knife dealer there, and he had well, the blade on the blade. It said "pig sticker." I mean, it was one of those knives for like hog catching and stuff. And uh, we actually kept that on our hip just as a backup because every time we went, it never failed. If we saw another hunter, he was like, "Man, did y'all see that sow and cubs, or did you see that big old boar?" He looked like he walked right down y'all's way. And luckily, we never came across one. But you're talking about snakes, spiders, and everything else. It gets pretty hairy. Hey, man, safety first. I'm all about that oh, for sure. Did y'all ever have any bears run-ins uh, out in y'all's hunts? You know, the only the only time a black bear has ever scared me was in Georgia. I, I got a lease in Houston County, so outside of Macon. I didn't mm-hmm. even know they had bears. I got it for deer. And I went out and put a feeder and a uh, camera. And when I checked it, first of all, my golf cart was destroyed. They ate the seats out of it. Then my climber had the seat ate out of it. Damn. My blind was ripped to shreds, and I had pictures of bears, and my feeder was tipped over. So they destroyed everything nice I ever had. And then they put in a one-day bear season ever, the first one they ever had. And I wound up killing one with my bow that day. But before that happened, when I walked in and my blind was shredded, I was like, well, I'm still going to hunt. So I just sat next to a tree there close, <laughs> yeah. had it tucked in. And I remember like an hour or two later, I heard something walking behind me and I looked. And there was a little baby cub. Holy and shit. I looked at it and it scared me. And it was scared and it ran up the tree I was sitting on. Well, there's three of them. Oh, they God. all ran up the tree I was sitting on. So I realized pretty quick what was happening. I spun around and started backing up and there was Mama Bear. She started popping her jaws and snarling at me. Oh, that ain't good. And I had a pistol, so I, I remember I was backing up with the pistol on her like, just don't make me do this. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Bear. Said, uh, oh, Bear. Like, I'll go my way, you go yours. But luckily she didn't do anything, but that freaked me out pretty good. And then uh, that was the only time a black bear ever scared me. I, I ran into him a bunch, but that was the only one that made me nervous. And then I had a brown bear experience in Alaska that kind of freaked me out. They, uh, when you stay in tents up there, they put little electric fence around your food. Mm-hmm. I was actually born up battery. in Fairbanks. My dad was in the Air Force. Well, you know all about it then. I don't. He the does. Bears. I was too young when they moved back, unfortunately. <laughs> well, them bears are something different. They, well, they do that little electric fence around the food, and it's a deep battery. So I'm like, how's this little battery going to stop that giant bear? But I didn't trust that. And I remember the guys we were with, two of us were from Georgia. The rest were from, like, wherever they're from, mm-hmm. like Bozeman or something. And they were like, hey, bring bear spray and bring, like, whistles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So me and my other guy from Georgia brought pistols because – you know, like, what if the wind's in my face and I pepper spray myself? That ain't going to work. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, to me, pepper spray is nothing but hot sauce for us, for them. That's that's what I said. So we never had, like, a bad run-in with them, but I was sitting up glassing one day. We were all glassing, and we watched one get after a calf moose and catch it. And that's when I realized you're not going to outrun a brown bear. No, that's my dad told me. He said, uphill, they will out catch a moose or like a calf moose, like you're saying. They can yeah, run about 35 mile an hour or faster. The only thing about them is they can't climb trees. They can probably so, push it down, though. <laughs> they probably could. I, the whole time looking around, I'm like, man, these trees aren't that big. But I figured I'd get up them. But, I, you know, me and the guy from Georgia, we were ready. The others had pepper spray. So what, kind of, uh, what caliber pistol do y'all carry? Or were y'all carrying? I carried a 44 Mag. That's the, only, that's the oh, biggest yeah. one I had on hand. But uh-huh. I figured that would do enough. He had a big, like, 500. That's I was talking to a lot, one of my 
other podcasts I had on it was on the Southwest Alaskan Guide. And he said he he likes the 500 up there. I was like, yeah, because it's like a brass cigar. You definitely, which a 44 ain't bad neither. I mean, it's got a flying ashtray. The bigger, the better. Bigger, the better. But you feel real cool walking around Alaska with a pistol strapped to your chest. So I would feel more confident. I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't try to die filming a bear. Now, how many days were y'all out there? You know, that one, that was with Remy Warren too, him and his brother. And uh, that one, I think we were scheduled for. 10 days mm-hmm. we had some guys they dropped us off on horses and we set up our camp and they left us and then i want to say we pushed it back a day or two so it was probably 10 to 12 days that's awesome and uh, he actually you know the, the very last day the day we were being picked up we hadn't shot a moose he missed one i think or something happened were y'all and bow hunting both uh both. he was bow hunting but he also brought his rifle in case uh for and sure i have that couple, rifle in my pack we had a couple mishaps out I'm not going to tell on Remy, but he might have missed one. And then it happens to the, the very, best of us. Very last, yeah, it, yeah, it happens to the best of us. But yeah. uh, I can't talk. I, I'm, yeah, but moose <laughs> are really big, so he probably should have killed it. But on the last day, he was not supposed to shoot a moose because they were coming to get us on horseback. And he woke me up. I was sound asleep, and he's he's yelling at me, hitting the side of the tent like moose, moose, moose. So I threw my shoes on, my boots. They weren't tied. I didn't have socks on. I threw my pants on. They were probably unzipped, and I was wearing a T-shirt. I came running out, and I filmed him shoot a moose with his bow. And uh, that so he is had to awesome. call the guy. Yeah, so he had to call the guy and I had to bring an extra extra mule or two. That's what I was going to ask, too, was, if they all flew in or did y'all just pack in? Yeah, we had a pack string. So we had a couple horse, well, horse for all of us, and then we had, I think it was like four mules, maybe more, because we packed in. There was three camera guys two hunters mm-hmm. and we brought food and we actually brought a tiny little generator just for our camera batteries so oh badass what kind yeah, of generator was it one of those little jackeries or no it was a little honda oh those uh, are nice the little bitty one that they make so mm-hmm. i don't know it was enough to charge batteries and whatnot but uh it was still we were staying in well they stayed in three-man tents i brought my own little one-man tent because 10 days sleeping in a tent with another dude is not really high on my list that is going to get to stinking quick yeah i had to put up with my own smell i didn't need to be sitting there smelling them so i just brought my one little my little one man Mm -hmm. my own little space loaded my phone up with movies because anytime you hunt alaska it's going to snow or rain or something you're going to be stuck in a tent so what kind of tent were you running out there oh man i I got a little some kind of foreign company Uh uh-huh uh all the wet, all those Western sheep guys talk about them, and my buddy that's a sheep guy sold it to me. It's like I'd have to look at Hillenberg, I think. I've heard of that brand before. I've been looking. I don't know if this brand's good. It's called like Lux. I don't know if you've seen them on Instagram or anything. They're all the ones that have like a stove in them and all that, or come with a stove. That sounds better than what I had. Mine's just a tiny little tent. Well, these look more like a teepee type, and somehow some don't have a floor, which I'm not keen on, especially down here in South Georgia. But I'm trying to find me a new tent for when I go public land hunting, and I which yeah. I'd probably have something a little bit bigger than a one man. But yeah, you know. yeah, I'd recommend it. We've got to where now we travel in an RV, and I really That's like it. We got a dad. camper. Well, my dad's scratch that. My dad has yeah. a camper. We take. <laughs> I really like having my own bed and a shower if possible. Amen, dude. That shower, trip. that shower is like getting baptized at the end of a long yeah. day. Yeah, so I like having our RV, especially like turkey and stuff. But yeah, backcountry, you know, the one man now, I can't hardly. I heard that. Now, uh, what kind of gear, like backpack and stuff, do you run? 
for backcountry. Oh, yeah, this year I ran a – oh, gosh, what are they called? Uh, all these foreign names mess up. Elberstock. Elberstock. Also, I'm just writing Elberstock. this stuff down just because I'm always – I said, I got goals of going out west and eventually, you know, so I'm just trying to learn what all y'all use and what works, not wasting any well, money. I wouldn't buy because I said to. Oh, I know. But I've been on enough of those trips that I know what it takes to be comfortable at least. I know what items are better to buy once and cry once or ones that you're just going to be miserable. So mm. your boots, you better buy nice boots. You better buy a nice sleeping bag and tent if you want to be dry. Yeah. What boots do you run? Uh, Kinetrex is what I normally wear Kinetrex. on hunts like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, that's good for about any hunt I do. Yeah, what about rain gear and kind of clothing wise? Do you try to stick to synthetics, merino? Yeah. So we use Nomad for everything, and mm -hmm. they have Nomad base layers that I love. Yes. Uh, anything merino wool is a great base layer. So they have those. And then it just depends on what the hunt is, where we're at, what time of year. But I like to layer. Um, especially if I'm out west, because you wear things that are big and bulky, you're just gonna get sweaty and you're gonna get cold. So yeah, I like you know wear my base layers and then I'll wear light clothes under that with a vest and then a shell. Okay. Uh, if I I normally keep a ring gear set in my pack. I, and, myself, uh, I'm wanting to get that hailstorm out uh, outfit from Nomad for this next year. Yeah, I'm actually wearing one right now. They're awesome. They are. They do pretty good. And they're actually, oh, they were one of my first, when I hit them up, they're actually a sponsor. I get 50% off their stuff. So it's pretty cool. I'm going to be getting the, my bottom land green leaf. I love that camouflage pattern. Yeah. And they're bringing back green leaf for the turkey clothes this year. So yeah. I want to get full garment. That's my plans. And there's no doubt that they they run the turkey game right now. There's no one makes anything better. We were actually at their office three days ago and I got to sit with Jason Hart and he showed me their new vest that they're bringing out this year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a game changer. Really? It's, yeah. Like, you know, an old dude that likes to carry a turkey stool with him or a chair. Yeah. This, I, this I do. Little, and that, yeah. And that chair weighs like six, seven pounds. I got an old so GCI little folding chair that I'll have on my back and just like little backpack straps. And that's good. It's comfortable, but I would like to get a vest eventually. And it's a pain to carry around. So yes. this vest, the, the way it's designed, it's just as comfortable as one of those turkey chairs, but it weighs like the whole vest weighs like two and a half pounds or three pounds. Nice. Uh, Plenty so of pockets bulky. on it. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's the same pocket configuration as their vest last year, and, but it just has the new feature for the seat. And okay. It's, they'll have it at NWTF. I don't know if you're coming up, but you should. Uh, I, so you'll have yeah. to sit in one of you. Do we actually have an NWTF meeting here in Valdosta? And uh, Keith Sermons, he, he puts it on with some other guys. And I'm going to be going to that one. I didn't make it last year. Well, and you need to get up for the national convention in Nashville. That'd be pretty cool. It's a I bet that's a pretty big sure. party. <laughs> should be. Yeah, we hadn't, they hadn't been able to have it the last two years, so this year should be a heck of a party. And we're actually going to have our RV on the show floor as a booth, so we'll be there hanging out every day. Sweet. Now, kind of get into turkey hunting a little bit, a little bit of tactics-wise. What calls do you prefer to use uh, or do you go to for when you're hunting? You know, I, it's funny. Like when I start out the year, my vest will weigh a lot and I'll have all kinds of stuff. I'll have my, my box calls, my pot calls. I'll have all kinds of stuff. But what hinds up over time is I wind up where I realize I'm only running my mouth calls. Mm -hmm. And even then, I'll find one that just sounds better than the rest and I'll run it the whole dang season. So that's about how mouth I am. Call, yeah, mouth calls 
100% my go-to. Uh, I'll get one and I'll wear it out. I'll wear it, you know, the whole season until the latex pops on it. I'm going to be running that one. But um, I still, every now and then I get in a kick where I'll pick up a pot call. I love a ceramic pot call. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, situationally, if I'm out west and it's windy, I'm going to break out that long box. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. The one thing, too, say if you – the I know the ideal situation is that if you can roost a bird for the morning, that's ideal. What do you use to – do you use a locator call, or do you try to wait for that bird to get on the ground and see if you can hear a gobble, or do you start with, like, some pelts or whatever? Yeah, it depends. Like, if it's first thing in the morning and I have no idea where the turkey is, most of the time I'm going to sit back and let nature take its course. I'm going to listen. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is from growing up in Georgia hunting public land and you would hear 50 owls in the morning yeah. and 49 of them were dudes. Yep. Um, so I always just kind of sit back. I mean, there's always going to wind up being an owl or a crow or something anyway. So they're going to gobble, they're going to gobble. Now, if they're being stubborn, I might stand on them a little bit. But ideally, I just sit there and let things happen. Um, if the morning starts rolling on, it depends the situation. I mean, if I'm walking through the timber, I'll, I'll hit a crow call. That's kind of my favorite locator. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you get more of a reaction out of a crow call or now or over now? Uh, just to, to me, it seems like timing of the part of the day, right? Later yeah, in the day, crow works a lot better, piercing and loud and abrupt, mm-hmm. so they're going to gobble at it. But it just depends. If I'm in a hunt situation where I can get to a tree pretty quick, a lot of times I just throw a little short cut at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, when I stop, I kind of glance around and make sure I have somewhere to hide. Cause I've had a lot of times where you cut and one guy was on top of you and you better find somewhere to sit real quick. So, yeah, I've done that before. Uh, that, you know, that's my favorite, but that's only if I know I'm in a good spot where I can sit real quick and, and have a good chance of killing one. But otherwise crow call is kind of my go-to. I heard that. Now, I know in some states, are you allowed to shoot hens? Cause I know in, in Georgia you're not, but I know like Florida, I think you can, can't you? Yeah, I, I have to remember. I think there it might just be bearded hens. Bearded hens, okay. Um, it it varies on the state. As a rule, I just I don't shoot hens. Yeah, uh, I was just curious. In the fall, in a lot of places you can, and I'm not I'm not against it. I just mm-hmm. I don't really care to that much. I figure the more hens I have, the more poults we have. Yeah, more fun in the spring. So <laughs> now, do you uh, try to bow hunt for turkeys more, or just shotgun them? <laughs> As a rule, I'd say I hate bow hunting turkeys. I mm-hmm. think God made them to be shot in the face. But uh, we did, you know, the, the very first year we did our, our turkey tour, we wound up in Kansas early. And that was kind of situationally. We were in Georgia, and we saw the, the writing on the wall that the world was going to start shutting down. So yeah. we wanted to get out to a little bit more safe space mm-hmm. in the Midwest. So we showed up in Kansas, and it was still archery season there. So me and my wife both bow hunted. And uh, I filmed it a lot. I just never really cared to do it. So at least after Kansas, I could say, hey, I have done it, and I still don't really like it that much. Yeah. If you want to do it, knock yourself out. I think it's great if people love it. I just don't love it. Uh, it's just, still fun. Like, I would rather bow my turkeys than not hunt turkeys. Yeah, there's kind it's of too not, many irons on the fire kind of thing. Yeah, and, like, also, I just feel like by nature of the beast, a lot of turkeys wind up getting wounded. And filming them, I just think it's kind of anticlimactic at the end. You don't have mm-hmm. the boom and, and the flop, and I love that. Well, that you got to track them suckers, too. Because I've also seen this trick. There's this guy I follow. He's called the Stick Boys on YouTube. And he'll actually tie a piece of twine to his arrow 
and I ain't ever seen that done before. But it was pretty interesting watching that line just kind of go up through the trees. It was somewhat Both comical. Fish and the but, turkey. Yeah, he, I forgot where he was hunting. At. I think he's up around Tennessee or in that area, or, or somewhere maybe Virginia. Both fish and turkeys, why not? Yeah, he said it works. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I am not. I am pro bow hunting turkeys. I just it's not my go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of frustrating. We hunted them without a blind. I just I don't like being in a blind. So we hunted them without a blind. We did use decoys and put them real close, and mm-hmm. it was fun. I enjoyed it. It's just I feel like you wind up losing quite a few bow hunting them. It's yeah. just part of it. Now your decoy setup. Do you just run like a solo hen, or do you try to put a strut and tom or a jake out there? Pretty situational for me. I know the, the big talk of turkey hunting these days is a lot of people are against different things with decoys and whatever. I'm not. I think if it's legal. Uh, now, with fanning turkeys, I know that's the big topic right now. If it's legal, I think fair, fine, go for it. But situationally, I just mm-hmm. think it's a tool in the toolbox to be used sparingly in the right situation safely because – Yes. There's a lot of places that are not safe to be doing that. No, have you uh, seen those guys so, with those predator decoys? They, uh, yeah. they'll, they'll walk up there with a judge on them. That's pretty cool. It'd be fun. Uh, yeah, I just so fan and turkey, I'm not against it. I just think it should be used smartly. But mm-hmm. when it comes to just regular decoys, I would prefer my ideal perfect dream turkey hunt is in the timber with no decoy, him coming looking for me and me killing him. That's mm-hmm. like the perfect. But filming turkey hunts a lot. I use a Jake and a hen. Um, that's kind of, that's my favorite setup is yeah. just Jake and a hen decoy. I don't really like using strutters very often. We've but, had a strut and Tom push off a bird. I feel like it intimidates them. Yeah. It's not my favorite. I, I don't really like the strut and decoys in it. They do work in the right situation. Don't get me wrong. It's just mm-hmm. not my favorite. I feel like it winds up being 50, 50. Yeah. But Jake case is a little case. less intimidating, but even then, um, it just depends where you're at and what time of year. I've, a lot of times that Jake is not going to be effective. So mm-hmm. if that's the case or if the situation isn't working out for it, I'll just put a single hen out. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, my rule of thumb, I always use the decoy just because I figured it give them a focal point. That way I can be off to the side and I'm fixing to slam it into the side of his head. Now, yeah. Like and sometimes, well, me, like you said, you can't, you don't have time to put a decoy out. If you do, you're going to get busted. Sometimes you just got to get thumb, it and hunker down. If I'm hunting timber and it's, not wide open i'm not going to use a decoy but if i'm hunting somewhere open food plot field mm-hmm. i'm probably going to use a decoy and for filming it's great because you know ideally if they come into it they're going to be on the x and then also for taking new people kids people that haven't hunted before it's great because it keeps them in one spot and mm-hmm. it's a little more controlled yeah uh, so for that purpose decoys are great for sure now kind of get into cameras a little bit what uh, camera do you run now? Uh, for our primary video camera, I, you know, I had a Sony FX9, and it actually burnt to a crisp. So really? after that, yeah, that was sad. Uh, How'd that happen? After, well, the accident we had last year led to a fire. So Oh, wait, so fire. was this like a forest fire or like a house fire? No, we, it was actually our RV. Oh, shit. Um, so we, yeah, in that deal, we lost, you know, we were on the road for two months, so we had everything in there. So oh my all my God. camera gear, when I quit my job, my, I took out a loan to buy camera gear. And now I'm still paying a loan on camera gear that doesn't exist. <laughs> so, Damn, um, man. Yeah. So now I'm running a Sony FS7, which is what I ran at 
my whole career pretty much, uh, at least in the later years, stereo camera. Mm-hmm. And then I'm running a Sony A7R4, I think is what they're calling this one. Okay. Um, what kind of ballpark, a, if you don't mind me asking, ballpark price-wise, where do they start? Well, the, the FX9, I think by the time you get it put together, it was closer to like 12000 Holy so shit. Never mind. It was, it was, <laughs> now, when I, when I bought it and when I left my job, I didn't know if Country Outdoors would even be a thing. Yeah. I, I knew we would do it, but I, I knew if I had that camera, at least I could go to work filming for other people. Yeah. So I wanted to have top-of-the-line stuff. Oh, for sure. That being said, if you just want to film a hunt, it's definitely not necessary. The uh-huh. FS7s are not near that. The A7 R4 uh, for the body, I think, is like $2,200 or something oh, like yeah. that. That ain't bad. Yeah, so camera gear's not cheap, but um, it oh. just depends what you want to do with it, right? If you're yeah. making commercials and stuff, you got to have it. If you're just hunting for fun, you don't need a high-end camera. You need some Tacticams, mm-hmm. GoPros, and that's, a Handycam. Yeah, that's why I got a GoPro now, and I'm just curious because I'm wanting to get – I got a YouTube channel, but I hadn't put a single video on it yet. Like I say, this is only episode number 40. I've only been doing it a year and a half, so I'm still in the infancy stage. But I'm trying to – I want to start making videos, especially filming hunts. Because I also go backpacking, kayaking, and camping and all that too. So there's different things I want to film there as well. Yeah, man. I think just, A, be realistic about what you're going to do with it. I don't mm. think you need to spend a ton of money. You get yeah. it starting out anyway. I think the Canon XA20 is what it's called, a handy cam. Mm-hmm. It's a great camera, especially nowadays. And then pair that with a GoPro or Tacticam, whatever, and you can do a lot with that. I mean, yeah. even now, drones, if you wanted to get a drone. That's on my amazing. list, too. I want to get that DJI, the, not the Phantom, the uh, Maverick. The Mavic, that, yeah. That's and a bad little joker. Now, I think they even got a newer one out that's smaller than it, and it's quieter. Yeah, and it's crazy. Like When I started out filming, we were – at the early part of my career, the big shows we were doing, like Greg Ritz's show back then, mm-hmm. they were hiring helicopters on every shoot Damn. and flying around and getting their scenics with like whatever camera they were running at the time. And then that it ends got up a lot of show had, budget too. <laughs> Having to hire yeah, a helicopter, yeah. Jesus. Well, then they bought a, an called an octocopter, I think is what they called them, but it was a, a big giant drone that carried mm-hmm. a I don't remember what camera it carried at the time, but it cost like twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, that's like those movie grade drones. And the company that I worked for, they crashed it the same day that they got the invoice for it. So that didn't work out. Oh, man. Um, but even then, you know, we were we had these giant, when DJIs first came out, they were pretty big. Yeah, and my we, buddy had the were, Phantom, had, and it was cool, but a Hawk took his out. Yeah, and ours was, I think we had the Inspire one, so it was still big. Mm-hmm. And I remember that trip I'd mentioned with Remy Warren, we had a guy that he just packed it in for us. That was his whole deal. Like, we, I guess we paid him just to carried in on a sled and it's funny because now the mavics are pretty similar quality and i can just throw it in my backpack oh man technology is getting so it's going so fast like that drone just blows my it blew my mind when my buddy brought that maverick out i couldn't believe it well and i remember that hunt where we paid the guy to drag that one in there it was my drone so but the other shooter i had on the trip was a hot shot that had done stuff for like national geographic so oh, when man. i busted the drone out he's like i'll fly it said, well it's mine but he's like well I, i'll fly it all right have at it he took it off a foot straight into a tree and crashed it oh. so that's like a that dream effort. job of mine is working for like national geographic or something like that just being able to travel to remote places ever since i was a young kid just photography's always interested me 
well, it's funny because this guy, he was, you know, he was talking about hunting stuff. He was going to start doing some hunting stuff with us. And I'm like, well, have you ever climbed a tree? You know, I'm thinking like, oh, Mr. Fancy Movie Man, like yeah. you haven't done redneck stuff. I'm like, you ever climbed a tree and hunted? And he's like, well, no. He's like, but I was in some, he's like Bogota or some random place. Like I was in some crazy country and I climbed 90 foot to film the greenback speckled monkey or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Never mind. So oh. it ain't South Georgia, man. You got <laughs> it. Ain't the deer you got it. You got it. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how far things have come, though. Now, uh, so, I mean, or go ahead. No, so it's just crazy because now, like back in the day, in the heyday of outdoor television, like Roger Raglan day, mm-hmm. back then they were filming on beta cams, and those things cost fifty thousand dollars, and took some expertise to run them and to edit them. Yeah, Nowadays. not to mention they were huge. Yeah, so like, there's no wonder there wasn't that many guys doing TV shows back then. Nowadays, I mean, you could literally have a YouTube channel with a huge following filming on your phone. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of my crazy. photography and stuff comes from my phone for right now, and it does fine, it does good. But to get that extra quality, you got to definitely upgrade, and you people can tell as well. Yeah, for sure. It just depends what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Like now, if I started filming all our show on a iphone people would wonder what was wrong with me but if that's what i'd always done no one would even question it yeah so. which i mean most phones like i this samsung i have i think it's an s20 i mean this thing can zoom in I mean, it's ridiculous on what the phone can do they look good no <laughs> doubt kind of hate it <clears throat> uh, but uh kind of you do any fishing or anything like that i saw you were doing some bow fishing and i'm kind of fishing off the coast yeah, I'm actually I'm sitting here staring at my bow fishing bow right now, which is I'm I'm really looking at it, seeing all the things that are broken that I have to fix. What kind of uh, bow is it? But I have a tracker. It's a 1860 tracker bow fishing boat, so it's set up for it, and um, yeah. it's kind of you know a lot of serious bow fishermen will call it kind of the cookie cutter boat, but mm-hmm. for what we do, it's great. I'd eventually like to upgrade to get a little bigger one and one that has a kicker on the back, but yeah. Uh, what I kind of fish do y'all go after? Well, here local, we wind up shooting a lot of buffalo, grass carp, mm-hmm. common carp, and some gar. Uh, but, you know, when I worked for John Paul or worked with John Paul, he bow fished. I mean, the dude has killed everything. He's been <laughs> everywhere, done everything, but he'd rather go shoot a carp. So, be hey, it's whatever him, gets your goat, man. <laughs> yeah, so I bow fished everywhere with him. I mean, I mentioned earlier, we went to Brazil and shot fish one time. So, with him, I got to do a little bit of everything, but I spent a lot of nights up in a filming tower filming bow fishing, and I loved it. I really mm-hmm. did, and now I still love to do it. So I have the boat, and we go around here a lot, around Nashville. And, uh, you know, as far as fishing, I used to, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman, and that dream died pretty soon. But Yeah, I did I that. Like for, I did tournament circuits for a while, but I got burned out on it. I never made it that far. I, don't, I never made it out of the farm pond. But – I love fishing. I'm not an expert. I will never claim to be an expert fisherman at all, but I still enjoy going. I like going with people that know what they're doing. I think yeah. it's pretty fascinating watching guys that really get it. Oh, for uh, sure. So I love it. I like going what after Gar my kayak. That's a fun spot. Yeah. Yep. I'd rather just shoot them, though. But I can, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can get them to buy it. The biggest That's one I've caught like... was right at five foot, and it was – it's okay when they're fighting them and all that, but once you get up the side of the boat, it's where it gets a little hairy because, I mean, they're right freaking there. All your are thrashing like hell, which most of the time That's I got what I call it. my old uh, head knocker, and I'll hit them in the head one good time and settle them down real good. 
<laughs> well, that's where me being impatient, that's where it comes in. Because if I can't get them to bite, I know I can probably shoot them as long as I can see them. So it's funny though, down in South Georgia, uh, that's where I started bow fishing when I was a kid. I had like this, it was called a uh, silver hawk, some mm. kind of compound bow that came from Walmart or something back then. Yeah. And it was my first bow. I put a reel on it. It was a model reel back then. And uh, I was shooting fish down by my house at a creek. But then I went to a friend's house one day, and he was at this place called Forest Lakes in Tifton. And it was like the rich people place. Yeah. It was a golf course. And I had all these lakes. And I remember I was out on the dock, and I saw was like a shark swim by. It was a giant grass carp. Holy cow. This thing is full of grass carp. So we started sneaking in there shooting grass carp. And before long, I had a john boat set up. And we'd kind of sneak in there and have a spotlight. We'd go around and we'd shoot these 40, 50-pound grass carp all the time. Heck and yeah. Then, I bet that's a pretty good fight. I mean, they probably about snatched the bow out your hand. Yeah. That actually happened the other day. But no, that, back then, it was fun. We were kids. Yeah. So we were just having fun. But or the cops got called on us one time. And we were just like, yeah, man, Dr. So-and-so told us we could be in here. And I remember the cop kind of looked at us like trying to figure out what's going on. He's like, man, can I can I see that? And he held the bow and I had him shoot it. He's like, that's pretty awesome. Said, well, you guys just be quiet and have fun. Yeah. So. And most of the time, that's how most cops are. They understand. As long as you ain't doing nothing mischievous, they really don't care. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, we didn't do a lot mischievous, but a little bit. Them grass carp, I kind of, I had a girl that had broke up with me. And I seen she was hanging out with some dude. So I took a grass carp and his truck was in the parking lot at school. I went and laid a grass carp in his toolbox and left it. Um, that was probably a little mischievous because I saw his truck in that parking lot two days later and it hadn't moved yeah. in the summer. So, yeah. my bad. Uh, what's the funny is we I'm did sorry. the same thing except we were running traps one morning and my buddy caught a cat. And this thing was the devil himself. Well, we had this one fella. We always kind of just, everybody kind of gave shit. Well, we put that joker in his toolbox. It was winter time. It wasn't heat of the summer, so the cat wouldn't die. But the guy, he always put his books in his toolbox. So at the end of the day, everybody was out there watching it. He walked out. This cat literally jumped off his head almost, and it left a piss trail for about 100 yards running down the center of the lane. Everybody was rolling. He didn't know what was going on. Getting attacked by a wildcat. Yeah. I mean, this sucker, we could, we barely got him in that toolbox, man. It was hissing. It was fighting. We about got tore up. Mm-hmm. I would <laughs> like that. I don't like cats, so just don't trust them. I don't mind an outdoor cat. They keep the snakes down and all that, but other than that, well, uh, <laughs> trying to think. I know we talked a little bit about elk hunting and stuff like that. Kind of get back into that because I, like I say, I want to do that as well. What kind of calling do y'all, or what's your technique on that? The reason I love elk hunting is because it is a giant turkey with a good sense of smell. I was just about it's to like, ask you, as a southern boy, is it kind of like turkey hunting for a horse? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's they're awesome. It's just like turkey hunting, and the, the strategies are very similar. Uh, obviously, they can smell, and mountains have thermals and whatnot, so it's mm-hmm. a little different there. But as far as the tactics that go into it, I always think from the perspective of a turkey hunter when it comes to elk hunting. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not really the person that you should listen to for elk advice because I've yet to kill one. But hey, I did you've get, done it, though. You've been there. so that's, that's, I, got, I was lucky to get to go on some – incredible elk hunts I, I think i filmed like 20 or 30 of them over the years but i still have yet to kill one so no one listened to my advice but if you're a turkey hunter and you go on elk hunt you just employ the same tactics and you'll be fine but think about the wind and the thermals yeah that's another thing too the thermals a lot of people don't really think about which down here in south georgia you really don't have to worry about that 
Um, yeah. I mean, the big thing with them is you learn the vocalizations, just mm-hmm. like they're again. Learn what different calls mean and when they use them. Do y'all and try then, to use a softer presence, or do y'all just kind of, if they're bugling, just go ahead and riff it back at them? Uh, I don't, it just depends where you're hunting and the kind of pressure. Like, if you're on a, a big private ranch, mm-hmm. you can bugle your way through. And, and also, early in the year, a lot of times bugling works. But most places I've hunted, especially myself, uh, like New Mexico this year and Colorado, very minimal calling i mean yeah. you figure it's like every dude comes through there ripping a bugle so yeah i never bugled i would pretty lightly cow call yeah cow call and just try to get in the middle of them uh and you know on the big ranches or if you find one that's just really hot go for it but i i never had a lot of luck bugling at them um mm-hmm. it has well, been you I've, know, I've listened to different podcasts and i know chris rose a big elk cutting guy and he's just always like he talks about just keep a subtle presence if that's just a calf mew or whatever. Try not to act like a big badass because that just same as turkey hunting. If you have that big old strutter out there, it could push that elk off because yeah, he's already got saw, his herd. He ain't gonna go lose it. You know what I mean? Well, and I saw in filming more elk were killed by raking a, a stick on a tree. Mm-hmm. The sound of raking a stick on a tree killed more elk than anything. And then the other thing was just. We just tried to get in the middle of them. And I remember yeah. John Paul, I, I, that guy is a great elk hunter. And I was pretty lucky to get to watch him elk hunt for that long and learn from him because he's way more aggressive than the normal guy. Hell, I'd like to have I him on like, here. He sounds, he sounds pretty damn interesting. Well, and he, you know, he taught me back then. He's like, a lot of guys, if they pay for an elk hunt, they don't want to mess it up. So they'll play too cautious. He's like, dude, if it's right, run in there on them. Mm-hmm. But we'd, we'd bust in there on them. And big ticket was just, being amongst them, if you're around them, eventually one of them's going to make a mistake and walk too close to you. Yeah. So we wouldn't get in there and start bugling and acting crazy, but be close to them, wind in your face, and just be there, be in the game. Uh, but yeah, I think subtle, subtle cow calling and then raking a tree seemed to kill more elk than anything. But again, there's a lot of elk hunters out there that I've listened to, and I'm not one of them. Yeah. Uh, so. No, that's just one. I was just curious. Um, God, I just lost train of thought. Where is that? Um, Jesus, I had a good, good question. I just lost it. But uh, elk hunting, Lord of mercy, I don't know. I'll think of it here in a second. Ah, uh, shit. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, man, we're getting on, <laughs> getting about an hour here, which you ain't got no rush or nothing. But uh, no, I'm I'm good for another minute. Okay. Um, God, that's really bothering me too. Ah. Uh, Oh, I got it. Would you, I'd say for someone taking their first elk hunt, would you say maybe go with a guide or do you think if you do your enough research, you can do your own DIY hunt on public land? Yeah. Uh, I think if I was going to give advice to somebody on your first elk hunt, I would say save up for four or five years and pay to go on a hunt for okay. a couple of reasons. Hey, you're, likelihood of being successful goes way up mm-hmm. b you don't know nothing about elk hunting other than what you're watching and learning on tv yeah not a damn books thing or whatever <laughs> so go with a good person and learn from them while you're there mm-hmm. uh, at the same time start applying for good states apply for for points in wyoming colorado new mexico arizona i actually applied for the elk, uh, elk it's an elk quota hunt in virginia i had a guy that was on my podcast recently sent me a link and it was only $20 to put in for it, but if you get drawn, it's like a $400 tag. 
which ain't bad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, a lot of those states that people don't think about that have great elk. The odds of getting drawn aren't good, but you still have odds. Yeah, it's but yeah, a chance. I would say for your first elk hunt, save up and go and do one because, I mean, like my shoes, I've done three public land Colorado hunts and haven't killed one. And Would you say I Colorado think, would be the state to go to? Because I know they're like New Mexico is real hard for out-of-staters from what I've heard. Or it was Arizona. Well, I think Colorado is kind of a pitfall for out-of-staters, especially yeah. southern ones. Because we look at it and we're like, oh, it's over the count. It's easy. You Which, show up and you buy a tag and you go hunt. Yeah. And Didn't they change the laws here recently? I'm going to interrupt. But I, I heard somewhere that they said that it, it won't be as many over-the-counter tags now. There was a lot last year. I don't know about moving forward. Uh, <laughs> right. Last year, they still had a lot. And it, it's a pitfall for, for us because you look, you're like, man, there's a lot of over-the-counter opportunity out there. But then it's also a very low success rate. Yeah, uh, You got the guys, and you can get lucky and get in the middle of them, or you can – I think you need to have somebody that has done some footwork or have enough time to block off that you can do the footwork and hope you get lucky. Yeah. And my advice there, too, is don't get married to one spot. Go in somewhere that's accessible, find them, and if you don't, get out and go to somewhere else. Don't spend your whole trip in one spot. Bounce around until you find them because you may show up and spend 10 days in a spot that has no elk. Yeah. Now, how far were y'all averaging having on public land to get away from people? How far were y'all having to walk in? The first one I did on public land, I was like 22 years old, and I went with my buddy, and we wound up like seven miles in that's pretty or something, good. On, which <laughs> – pretty good clip in the mountains yeah and we got on some elk on that trip we just got hit by horrible weather mm-hmm. it snowed on us like crazy um this year or last year rather we took horseback in we got pretty far in there and it was horrible it had snowed right before we got there and the elk were gone but we were so committed that we couldn't pull out and go somewhere else this year yeah we might be only hunting a quarter mile from the road but look for the little pockets where nobody looks at that's what we did and we actually the first day we found a bull and some cows and we wound up having another hunter that moved in on us and one of us bumped him i think it was probably him because his wind was wrong but uh Mm. after that we didn't have we didn't ever find any but i think it's just get out there and be flexible and move around Mm -hmm. find somewhere where you can get away from the people yeah just kind of just cover ground and if you see somebody just kind of move a little bit further out because that's sometimes me hunting public land down here just show how some assholes can, or people can be assholes. I get up early. 100%. I get before daylight. It's completely dark. I got all my stuff on, sitting on my tailgate at the edge of the road at, up there in some public land in North Georgia. Just sitting there waiting for just a little bit, get a little light, and I'm going to start walking down the trail to my spot. Well, all of a sudden, I see headlights coming, and they're driving slow, and I'm like, well, I guess they're just going to drive on past me. Hell no, man. They literally pull up and park right beside me and get out and say, good morning. And I'm like, hey. And that's all I said. I immediately grabbed my rifle, shut my tailgate, and I started walking. And I didn't stop until I stopped seeing their headlamps. And after that, I still walked another mile. Yeah. That, I remember I was at a place in Georgia one time, and I, it was illegal to sleep at the gate, I think. Mm-hmm. But I still showed up at the gate at like 2 in the morning, and I slept for a while. Yeah. Uh, so I fell asleep, and I remember I woke up, and it was almost it was like cracking daylight. I overslept. My alarm didn't go off. And I looked over. And I, I think what woke me up is a dude shutting his car door. And he walked right by my truck. <laughs> and walked right down the road I was about to walk down. I'm like, damn it. Like, that's the whole reason I was trying to yep. have my presence here, you know, beat him here. But Yeah, that's right first come, me. first serve. It sucks. Yeah, don't <laughs> sleep at the gate and then forget to wake up. 
that's how that last that weekend that I shot that big my biggest buck to date or what would have been I woke up late got to stand about 647 there was a good bit of blue coming out and like you were saying missed pockets that people don't think about I was probably walking 800 yards from where I was sleeping and this was a mature buck it was one of the bigger ones I've seen on this property in a long time well, that's but, sometimes sometimes you gotta think outside the box yeah you do but uh if you want man we're like i said we're getting on an hour now i don't want to keep you too long this friday night uh plug yourself and tell people where they can find you especially tell them about your tv show on outdoor tv channel yeah man our show is country outdoors so on outdoor channel for the next 15 weeks every thursday at seven o'clock eastern we're gonna have an episode on their turkey hunting Sweet. so you can go to outdoor channels facebook and find that Otherwise, look us up. It's Country Outdoors on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely make a post and I'll tag you in it. And I want to thank you again for coming on, man. I appreciate it. This was fun. Yeah, man. That's been been good talk, and hopefully we cross paths. You need to get up to NWTF convention, but if not, hopefully we cross paths this turkey season. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. You never know what the future holds. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, all right. Well, stay warm down there. <laughs> you too, man. Have a good one. All right. See you. Bye.